students on campus and home will still gather together as the body of Christ at Gateway to worship the Lord this morning, to sing his praises, to study his word, to read his word, to pray together. Church, what a blessing we have in the joy of corporate worship. And I'm just so thankful that we get this opportunity this morning. Let me just tell you about several resources and opportunities for you. Last week, as we've been working through our journey through James, we got to the topic of what biblical wisdom looks like. We talked about how biblical wisdom shows itself in holiness and also in humility and in gentleness. And if you're on our gateway email list, you got an article from me, not one I wrote, but one I found called Masters of Self, Cultivating Gentleness in an Age of Outrage. I know this was written some years ago, it seems very fitting for today. We're in an age of outrage. But how do we as believers cultivate through godly wisdom, gentleness, humility, and holiness? So hopefully you saw this if you're on our email list. If not, it's on the Gateway Community Facebook page. You can find it there. But if not, for those who like hard copies like me to highlight and take notes on, there's a tray of these in the back of the sanctuary. There's some outside the office in the office hallway there. And there's also some in the gym as well. So there's lots of ways you can find this. And if you did not get this over email and you want to be on our email list, if you're watching from home and you're visiting and you're not getting our emails, just send an email to us. Go to thegatewaybaptist.com, click on contact us, send us a message, say, I want to get the, the resources you send out. So I just want to encourage you, if you take 10 minutes this week and read that, I think it'll bless you and challenge you and help you this week. As well, as you guys know, we have a resource center in the hallway just outside the office full of good books. There's so much stuff published today, but what is it that would be helpful to read? I want to highlight just a few things that might help you in your journey right now that are in the resource center. One is fairly new. It's called Coronavirus in Christ from John Piper. If you're having a hard time sorting out what God is up to in the midst of the hardships that we're walking through, and what is a biblical godly perspective to the crisis and the pandemic we're in, this little booklet that Piper somehow cranked out in like a month is absolutely amazing. And so if you've not read it yet, these are available in the Resource Center out there. Also, we know lots of people who are struggling and hurting right now. These are hard times where people are hurting financially, they're hurting with sickness, they're hurting with broken relationships. And Tim Keller, who's a pastor up in New York City, wrote one of the best books on suffering I've ever found. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And this is an incredible resource. The first third of it's dealing with a problem with evil. But if you are a friend in the middle of a hardship right now, skip the first part of the book. You know there's evil in the world and brokenness. And start in the second part of the book, and that's how do you walk with God through the hardships. This book, we, I've given out many of these to people here at Gateway over the years. And if you are walking through a hard time now and know someone who is, this is incredibly helpful biblical counseling from a pastor in New York who knows how to engage us in the hardships that we're walking through. There's two more I want to mention to call your attention to. Last week we were talking about how do we cultivate biblical wisdom. We talked about the need to focus our minds on God and health and the healthy fear of the Lord. And so how do we see God for who he is so we have a fear of the Lord? The short little book, A.W. Ping, The Attributes of God. If you want to get your mind just stretched on who God is, you know, our culture is obsessed with God is love and God is love. But we don't often think about all of his attributes, his justice, his wrath, his holiness, and all those parts of his character that make God God. Pink just takes one attribute, takes two or three, four pages, and it shows you from Scripture who God is. It's a great one to help you regain a fear of God. And one last one I alluded to last week, and that's the explicit gospel. If you just want to get a fresh take on the wonders of the gospel to help us fear God and walk in biblical wisdom, this is like sitting down with a friend in a coffee shop. It's just the way he's so conversational in tone to help you get your mind back around the wonders of what Christ has done for us and the bigness of God. There's a lot more out there. I just want to highlight those four for you this morning. If you're watching from home and going, that sounds great, but I can't come up to the church to get it, call the office, email the office through our website. We will mail you a copy. We'll do curbside delivery for you. You can pull up and Aaron or CJ or I will run it out to you. Like we want to put resources in your hand to help you walk with Christ even 
on the hard days. And so I just want to make you aware of those. If you go to, you see it up on the screen, but the website, gatewaybaptist.com slash resources, there's a button under that called Resource Center, and all of our books that we have in the Resource Center are listed. If you want to scroll through and go, that would be really helpful for me right now. Let us know, and we'll get a copy in your hands. One last announcement I want to call your attention to is on Wednesday, August 12th, we're going to have a corporate prayer meeting here. We're not starting back Wednesday night yet. We're still working on that and we're still working to get Sunday morning small groups hopefully back together within about a month or so and we'll have more announcements on that. But even though Wednesday nights are not starting back yet, we feel it's important for us to come back together and pray. We do this every year, usually the first Wednesday after school starts back. We call it our back to school prayer gathering. And we get together and we pray for the schools and the administration and the teachers and the homeschool families. We pray for students by name. We lay hands over our children and our teenagers and our college and we just pray for them. And with all the craziness and uncertainty of the world today and when schools are starting back and who's doing virtual and who's going to be in person, there's just so much that we need to pray about. We feel it's really important, even though we don't have our normal Wednesday night activities starting back, we want to still gather for a prayer meeting together here on Wednesday, August 12th at 6 p.m. And so I just encourage you to mark that on your calendar. As we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord, I want to ask you to stand, please. I want to read to us some scripture to call our just attention to the Lord and what he has done for us and who he is. John chapter 14 and verse 16. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And a few verses later, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Father God, we are so thankful that you have not left us alone. That as your children, because of what Christ has done, you have given us the Holy Spirit, not just to be with us, to be within us. We pray today that each one of us would experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And we confess as we think about the pandemic and just all the different trials and situations people are walking through, Lord, our minds can get so distracted. And we can find ourselves even sitting here trying to think about your greatness and our minds are racing to other things. Lord, today, would you just through the Holy Spirit dwelling within each one of us, focus us on you. Let us see your glory and your greatness and your majesty. And I pray that we will have just an overflow of praise to you and eagerness to study your word and prayers to you because you filled us with your Holy Spirit, because you've given us the helper who you sent in your name to teach us all things and to remind us of all that you have said to us. I pray this day we'll experience your peace and your joy, your conviction, your encouragement, everything we need from you through the Holy Spirit working within us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord this morning.
that satisfies our soul. Lord, you are our delight. Lord, we praise you that we are undeserving of this. We don't deserve to experience this joy and satisfaction, Lord, but you have poured out so much grace on us through your Son, and it's in his name that we are able to praise you this morning, Lord. Thank you for how your Son has redeemed us, how he has freed us from the bondage to sin, Lord. It's given us the gift of your Holy Spirit to fill us and indwell us. Lord, we pray for more of a realization of that this morning, Lord. God, we come to you in your Son's name, bringing these requests to you, Lord, knowing that you delight to hear your children's needs, Lord. Lord, so first we want to pray for the marriages of Gateway, Lord. Lord, there's a lot going on right now. Like Grady mentioned earlier, there's decisions about school. There's stress about jobs and possible financial struggles, Lord. But in the midst of that, we just cry out to you for mercy. We pray for husbands to graciously lead their families, Lord, to stir in us a desire to care for their wives and their children. We pray for the wives of Gateway, Lord, to be a support to their husbands, Lord, to love and nurture their children as well, God. We need your grace in that every every day. Lord, also for our nation, God, in the, the unrest that's going on in so many different ways, not only related to COVID-19, Lord, but in all these things, Lord, we just pray for healing and protection. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to move and use these stressful and trying times, Lord, to bring people to salvation, Lord. Use this time to expose people to the truth that this world is is not the ultimate joy that there is, Lord. That this world is not the true home of those that know you, Lord. God, we also pray for our government, government leaders, Lord, including our president during this time, Lord. We just pray that there would be more knowledge of you in those people's hearts, Lord. That the people who do know you, Lord, would be bold to speak about you, Lord, to other government leaders, Lord. We also just pray for godly wisdom, for people to make decisions, Lord, for people to put down their selfish desires, Lord, in the midst of this and do things for this nation that is our best concern, Lord, to see people be able to be helped, Lord, and there be healing during these times. Lord, we also think about in your kingdom, Lord, in your church across the world, we Support Pastor Mark in Haiti, Lord, and his ministry to the church there in Haiti, Lord. We lift him up this morning. We pray for your Holy Spirit to fill him today, Lord. Give him renewed desire and energy to minister in such a hard place, Lord, where there is also much distress there, God, especially in light of this virus. We pray for their church, Lord, just to love one another, to help build each other up in Christ. Lord, we thank you for that partnership. Lord, we also think about people across the world that do not know you. And to pray for an unreached people this morning, the Churi of Pakistan, Lord, the Shia Muslim group, Lord. Lord, they they are very religious and devout in their worship, God, but your word says that it is false worship, Lord, it's idolatry. So we pray for peace among those people, that they would um, be able to come to know the God of the universe, Lord. Lord, one thing that's going on in this group in particular, Lord, is they're at war with the Sunni Taliban group in their region, Lord. So we just pray that in the midst of that conflict, Lord, that you would use that for the gospel to come in and bring true peace 
and true healing to their people, God. We pray for missionaries from other Pakistani groups or missionaries from other countries that they would go there, Lord, and bring the gospel to them. Lord, we know we are too often just too apathetic and not concerned with lost people around the world, Lord. So we just pray you would stir in our hearts more of a realization, more of a heart and concern for the gospel to go out to these peoples. Lord, we also pray for Gateway here this morning, our offering that will be given either here or online, Lord. We just pray for us to give generously out of an act of worship for you, Lord, and to use Gateway's finances, Lord, for your glory, Lord. Help the gospel to go out in Montgomery and for people here at Gateway to be equipped. We just thank you for how you have blessed and cared for Gateway, particularly during this time. Lord, and lastly, we pray for Grady, Lord. Thank you for the desire you've put on his heart to base his preaching off your word, Lord, that he does not come up with his own opinions or own ideas, Lord, but he comes to only tell us what your word says. So we pray that we would have ears to hear your word this morning and the Holy Spirit would bring it to our hearts cause it to expose sin, but also point us to Christ and his love and grace and forgiveness. Lord, it's in all these things we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. Good to see you this morning. Would you find James chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible at James chapter 3. Over recent weeks, James has been giving us a lot of teaching about our speech. He's reminded us of the dangers of our tongue. He's called us to realize that we are not free to say whatever we want to say, that God has a standard for our speech. He's reminded us that we will give an account before a holy God one day for every word that we have said. And in all this, he's been showing us our desperate need for grace. That I can't tame my tongue, and you can't tame your tongue, and I can't change my speech, and you can't change your speech. But God wants to give us grace to transform us and to change us. James then made a slight shift in his teaching from speech to wisdom. There's a lot of feedback. Um, There you go. I'm hearing myself twice. Okay, James has then given us a a shift in his teaching about from speech to wisdom, but that's not really a big disconnect on that. Y'all hearing that too? (laughs) There we go. Chris, I think I'm one of the monitors up here, so I think it's feeding it back to me. There we go. Okay. James has shifted from speech to wisdom, which is not that big of a disconnect, because we're in a world where there's no shortage of people who claim to have wisdom, no shortage of people who claim to be experts on matters of church and home and culture and all those things. And James showed us how to know if others have wisdom, but more importantly, he showed us how to know if we have wisdom, how to look into our own hearts. You remember from last week, wisdom is knowing how to navigate the practical issues of life. Knowing how to navigate the practical issues of life. And how do we know if we're able to navigate the practical issues of life God's way? Well, we saw last week in verse 13 of chapter 3 that if we have godly wisdom, it will produce in us both holiness and humility. Both holiness, godliness, Christ-likeness, and a growing humility and gentleness in how we relate to one another. Now, James is going to carry on that theme this morning. We'll look at verses 14, 15, and 16 in James chapter 3. He's going to help us understand what biblical wisdom is by giving us a contrast this morning. We saw last week that true wisdom from God is going to produce in us, manifest in us, humility and gentleness. He's going to show us the contrast today of what the life of a person is like who thinks they are wise, but they really are not. 
to show us a glimpse into the life of the person who is deceived and thinking that they can navigate life God's ways when in reality they are not. If you remember last week, I said that wisdom is kind of like learning how to drive a car. And so, if wisdom is like learning how to drive a car, James this morning is giving us a contrast. He's going to show us a person driving the wrong way, and in the process of wrecking many people along the way and injuring people. So he's going to show us people who think, I've got wisdom, and I'm navigating life. But in the reality, they're causing wreck after wreck after wreck, injuring person after person after person. And so as we look at this text this morning, I want you to be looking for three things. And I'm going to give you one thing before I want you to look for three things. So can you all do that this morning? Focusing on three things to read. First of all, what is the evidence a person lacks wisdom? Last week we saw what evidence was a person has wisdom. So this morning, what is the evidence that a person lacks wisdom? So the evidence, number one. Second of all, we're going to look for what causes a person, particularly a believer, to not pursue God's wisdom. What is the cause? So what is the cause why a believer may not pursue God's wisdom? The number three, what are the consequences in our lives if we lack wisdom? What are the consequences? So what is the evidence we lack wisdom? What is the cause for lacking wisdom? And then what are the consequences? The evidence, the cause, and the consequences. And I want us to think about looking for that as we dig through God's Word this morning. So with that in view, we're going to look at James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. Can I ask you to stand, if you're able, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? The words will be on the screen for you, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for even verses like this that are harder, that are so convicting, that so get right to our heart and our sin struggles. But we're thankful, Lord, that you love us so much as your children. You don't just tell us to go live life however we want. You use your word and your Holy Spirit to convict us and to correct us and to show us where we're short of where you want us to be so that you might, through your grace, make us more Christ-alike. Lord, I pray this morning you would take your word and you'd encourage us in ways of seeing how you've been sanctifying us in these areas. And I pray you would convict us in ways that we still need to grow in these areas because none of us have arrived. So we ask for much grace this morning to hear your word. As we've seen previously, James, to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers also. So, Holy Spirit, come, open our eyes to the truth of the Word of God. Help us hear it and help us do it and apply it to our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, again, we're looking at three things in our text this morning. I normally give you a main idea to kind of guide where we're going to study. I'm not going to do that this morning. We give you the main idea at the very end. We're going to use these three questions to kind of build. So, we're going to do it a little bit different. If you can hang in there with me this morning and... For you type A people, yes, we're structuring the sermon different, but we'll be okay this morning in this. Three things I want you to see in this. We're going to see the evidence of a lack of wisdom, the causes of why we don't pursue it, and the consequences. And then we'll pull all that together as we get those three answers. And then I'll give you the main idea as we conclude. So what is the evidence if we or someone else lacks wisdom? What's the evidence of it? So go back one verse to see the evidence for having it first. Back to verse 13 last week. Quick review. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So if we have godly wisdom, it produces holiness and it produces humility. So then what is the evidence of a lack of having godly wisdom? That's verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast to be false to the truth. There's many evidences of a lack of wisdom. James focuses on two. The first one he mentions here is bitter jealousy. Now some of your translations may translate it bitter envy. Perhaps the most literal rendering of this from the Greek would literally mean harsh zeal. 
One evidence of a lack of having godly wisdom in our lives is we have a harsh zeal. And that makes sense. If wisdom is manifest in humility and in gentleness, then a lack of wisdom is going to be manifest in harshness. Harshness in how we think about others and perceive others. Harshness in how we speak to others. And harshness in how we act towards others. So we want a definition to this term that we translate here, bitter jealousy, or harsh zeal, or jealousy, whatever you want it to be. It's simply this. It's seeking to do what is best for yourself, regardless of the effect on the other person. Seeking to do what is best for self, regardless of the hurt, the harm, whatever it does to the other person. A person whose life is marked with bitter jealousy or harsh zeal is a person who always wants to have more than other people. Our minds typically go towards wanting to have more money than others or more stuff than others or a bigger house than others. But this can also be wanting to have more influence than others, more power than others, more following than others, more of having your opinion heard. So I was trying to read and understand this term this week. Two different authors brought out different aspects of what this means to have bitter jealousy that really helped me understand it. One author said this type of bitter jealousy is a fierce desire to promote your own opinion. It's a fierce desire to promote your own opinion to the point you want to suppress other people's opinions. So isn't that what we see happening all over the world right now? People have this this fierce, burning desire in their hearts to make sure their voice is a voice that is heard, and everyone else's voice who has a contrary view is suppressed. And friends, that happens in the church as well. It's a fierce desire to promote your own opinion to the point you want to suppress others. A different author brought a different aspect to this idea of what bitter jealousy is. And he says, this is a person who cannot stand to see others have position and influence. A person who cannot stand to see others have position and influence. He goes on to say, when they see other people having influence and position that they don't have, it leads them to an inner frenzy. When they see other people rise to more prominence, have their opinions heard more, their decisions being followed, this person who has bitter jealousy has an inner frenzy in their heart. So bitter jealousy is a fierce desire to promote ourselves. It's an inner frenzy when other people seem to be getting ahead. So James is giving us a strong warning here, friends. If we find ourselves with this fierce desire to promote ourselves, if we have a fierce burning desire in us to want to make sure we always get our way, if we get in a frenzy when it seems like other people have more influence or a position than we have, if we find ourselves always having to have the last word, if we find ourselves being domineering over others, And we have what James calls bitter jealousy, and he's warning us that that means we need to look inward because we're lacking in wisdom if that's the fruit we're seeing in our life. There's a second evidence of a lack of biblical wisdom here, and that's also here in verse 14. It says, if you have bitter jealousy in the next phrase here, and selfish ambition. The other evidence that we have a lack of biblical wisdom is that we have a life with selfish ambition. Now, this is a Greek word that's really hard to translate, and so it's perhaps not the best word. The best English word for this is the word rivalry. A person who has in their life rivalry. Outside of the scripture, this exact word that we translate selfish ambition was used at the time in the culture to describe, catch this, politicians who would do whatever it took to advance to the top, to get in the position of power so that their views got heard. I guess human nature hasn't changed, has it? Because it sounds a lot like what happens in politics today. But this was a word common in the Greek culture to describe what politicians did to make sure they got to the top, to where they got to the power, to where they made sure their opinions were the ones that were heard and shaped society. So when you hear this word selfish ambition, don't just think of some attitude that's just inside that doesn't lead to anything. This is jealousy in action. This term for rivalry that we're translating selfish ambition is literally jealousy in action. It's a rivalry that leads you to speak out, to do things, to tear people down, to promote yourself, and to promote your own ideas. 
Now, this word selfish ambition and rivalry appears in Scripture in another place. It's a text we've looked at before, but I want you to see the context in which rivalry appears. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, this is a text we look at often because it shows us the contrast of a life controlled by the Holy Spirit versus a life that's controlled by our fleshly desires and our fleshly tendencies. So he talks about in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh. This is the fruit. This is the product. If you have a life that's controlled not by God but by your own sinful tendencies, this is what is produced in your life. And these things are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. We go into verse 20. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which is division between people. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger. What's the next word? Rivalries. Now, that's the exact same word we translate in James 3 here, selfish ambition. It's that idea of that fighting to get yourself to the top. It goes on with dissensions and divisions. Selfish ambition, rivalry. So take these two terms from James 3. The, the evidence of a lack of wisdom in our life is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. This paints for us a picture of a person who wants to be seen as wise, who wants to be well-known as an influencer, and a person who knows how to navigate life, but whose attitude is, I will get whatever I want and no one can stand in my way. And friends, that is all over our culture, and unfortunately that easily infiltrates the church as well. I'm going to get what I want and no one can stand in my way. In fact, Paul warns us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15, that at the time people had come into the church, he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and from what? Rivalry. And here's that same word again, that people are in the church in Philippi who are preaching Christ, not because they love God, not because they love people, but because of their own selfish ambition, because of their own rivalry. If they wanted to be ahead, they wanted to be that person everyone looked to. And so he warns them about that. So what's the evidence a person lacks wisdom? It's jealousy and selfishness. And notice the contrast here. Look at verses 13 and 14 together, what we saw last week and this week. Back to verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Friends, there's no middle ground here. Either we are people who are wise and growing in wisdom, and it shows in a growing holiness and a growing humility, or we're a people whose lives are characterized as unwise, and it shows with this jealousy and this selfishness in our lives. Like Preston challenges a few weeks ago, I just want to remind us of that, because it's such a great question. If we could see a transcript of our words this past week, if you look at a transcript of your actions this past week, friends, if I could look at a transcript of my words and my actions, what does it show? Does it show a life that is characterized by a growth in wisdom, which produces a growth in godliness and a growth in humility? Or does it show a life that is characterized by ungodly thoughts that leads to division and leads to jealousy and selfishness? What do our words and our actions, even this last week, show? And there's a reality check for us here. If we find ourselves falling short, and we all do to different degrees, we all struggle with this. But when we find ourselves falling short, James gives us a very strong correction here in verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, now here comes two imperatives, two commands. Do not boast and do not be false to the truth. These are commands to stop doing something you're doing. He's saying if you claim to be wise, if you're claiming to be a person of influence and trying to get people to listen to you, but your life is lacking in holiness and your life is lacking in humility and gentleness, if your life is full of jealousy and selfishness, he says, stop it. Stop saying you're wise. Stop pretending to be spiritually saying, in other words, stop being a hypocrite. Stop pretending to be someone that you're not. So that was our first question, friends, from this text. What is the evidence of a lack of wisdom? It's jealousy and it's selfish. Now that's question number two for us in the morning. Why then, particularly in the church, do some people lack wisdom? Why do some people in the church 
have such a stronghold in their lives of jealousy and selfishness? Well, can they blame their circumstances? Well, I just have too much work to do. I just really don't have time to get in the Word and let God change me. I don't have time to get in community. I just I can't help it. Can they blame their family situation? My family demands too much. I'm just too stressed. I just, this just comes out because of all the pressures I'm walking through. Can they blame their past? Hey, if you just knew the hardships I walked through, what happened in my childhood, how hard of me, how burned I've been so many times, you'd understand. Can they blame their personality? Hey, I'm just abrasive. I just have to say what I have to say. That's just who I am. Can they blame even God? Hey, it's just how God made me. I'm just a strong person. That's just the way God made me. Can they blame anyone else for the reason they have jealousy and selfishness, the reason that they would have this type of rivalry? And James makes clear, no. There's no one to blame but ourselves. There's no one we can blame but ourselves. We can't blame God. We can't blame our personalities. We can't blame our past, our family situation. We can't blame our circumstances. We have nothing to blame but ourselves if our lives are filled with jealousy and selfishness. If it's filled with this envy and with this rivalry. Look at verse 14. He has two phrases here to help us understand that we are responsible when this is in our life. Notice the very first phrase of the verse. But if you have. This is a conditional sentence. That means it does not have to be this way. That there's two paths before us. And this is one of the two paths that we can run down. Now, if we're not a follower of Christ, and we do not have the Holy Spirit within us, then we have no hope but to be this way. But if we are in Christ, we've been saved by Him, and He's not only freed us from the penalty of sin, but He's freeing us from the power of sin in our life, then we don't have to walk down this path. There's another path. And what is a path for us? Well, He showed us last week in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you, by His good conduct, let Him show His works in the meekness of wisdom. That the other path before us is we can, by God's grace and God working in us, He can produce in us holiness and humility. There's, no, there's another part of this path we can go down. That's what we'll get to next Sunday, but we'll preview. Look down at verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And I can't wait to dig into those two verses with you next week. But what James is doing here in the middle of this paragraph, this but if, he's saying this is what a follower of Christ should look like, but this is what some people go down now, and then he's going to return back to next week what our lives should look like. Because that means when we as believers speak and act with jealousy and with selfish ambition, we have chosen to reject God's transforming grace. We have chosen to cling to our old sinful ways. We have chosen to excuse, to justify, to write off in our lives this type of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. But if we don't have to go down this path, friends. There's another phrase that shows us that we're responsible here in verse 14. He said, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your what? What's the next word? In your where? In your hearts, friends. This is coming from our hearts. If we find ourselves doing the things I just described with bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, it is coming from where? It's coming from within our hearts. It's coming from within us. Friends, this is, we say it over and over, but it's so important to understand. My greatest sin stronghold and your greatest stronghold is not because of anything out there, it's because of what's in our hearts. And parents, the greatest threat to your kids being who they're supposed to be is not all the evil out there, it's the evil right there in their own hearts. Our problem is that our hearts, our old nature, our simple ways won't what is out there. And so jealousy and selfishness are hard issues. And if we're in Christ, we are fully responsible and we'll give an account before a holy God for whether or not we walk in freedom in these areas that he set us free in. With that, if you want to see what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, because Paul tackles this issue in us. 
He says, so you must consider. He's saying this is the way you need to think. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what we just mentioned a minute ago, that when Christ died, we often think about him dying to free us from the penalty of sin. So we don't have to go to hell and we can go to heaven. But when Christ died, friends, he died to free us from the power of sin. If we are in Christ, we are no longer slaves to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. He died to set us free to that. So you must consider, you must change your thinking and realize you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then in verse 12, he carries on. Therefore, this is what should happen if we understand that we're free. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey his passions. That God is calling us to walk in freedom. When those jealous thoughts and rivalry thoughts and selfish thoughts come up, friends, he's saying if you're in Christ, you don't have to obey them. You don't have to obey those passions. And he goes on in verse 13 to tell us, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is our new identity. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. In verse 14, look at this. He brings it all together. For sin will have how much dominion? None. No dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Friends, do you understand, no matter how much in your past you've struggled with selfish ambition, or bitter jealousy, or this frenzy, or this zeal, or all the different ways we've described it, if you are in Christ, that does not have to have dominion over you or over me. That Christ is setting us free from the power of sin in our lives. And yet, friends, so often we reject God's grace, and we reject the way out, and we choose to keep harboring this type of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts. We come up with every excuse of why it's not so bad, and we allow it to remain. So what is the evidence of a lack of wisdom? Selfishness and jealousy, harshness and rivalry. If it's present, why is it there? Well, if you're not a Christian, it's going to be there until you find Christ. But if you're a Christian, it's there because we're choosing to hang on to that instead of letting the power of Christ transform us. That's the cause. So we see the evidence and cause. One last question. What is the effect in our lives, if we have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, what is the effect of it? Friends, one of the key lies that Satan throws at believers today on sins like this is the lie that it's not that bad. Look, this jealous thought, this selfish thought, this zeal, this frenzy you feel, you can find so many reasons to excuse it and justify it, and I can too. And Satan loves to throw at us these lies that it's not that bad. Now, I should have brought it out with the books earlier, but there's a book in the Resource Center called Respectable Sins, by Jerry Bridges. Now, there's certain sins over the years the church has seen as really bad and we fight against and stand against, but there's a lot of sins that we have excused over the years. And he goes a whole book, about 20 chapters of what he calls respectable sins, sins that God hates, but the church has become pretty comfortable with. And jealousy and selfishness are two of those that he includes in that book. These are respectable sins. We bought the lie of the enemy that they are not that bad, but James obliterates that lie from Satan. He shows us here how deadly Jealousy and selfishness are in our lives, but also in the lives of the people we interact with. So I want you to see here the effects of it. First of all, the effects on us if we harbor jealousy and selfishness, but also the effects on the people we interact with. Let's start with the effects on us. I believe in this text, so there's many, there's three effects he shows. That if we harbor in our lives and do not let the grace of God change us in these areas, if we hang on to jealousy and selfish ambition, there's three effects on our lives. Number one, first of all, we're deceived. We're deceived. We're living a lie. Now, James has warned us about this before. In James chapter 1, verse 16, he's told us a very real possibility. He's writing to believers. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And there is a very real possibility in the church that people think they're okay with God when they're not. And in this case, he takes that same idea and shows that there's many people in the church who think they are wise and walking with God when in reality, 
They are not. They think they're doing okay in how they're treating people, but they are not. They're deceived. Look at verse 14 again. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, now notice this, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not be false to the truth. He's saying you're living a lie. If you say, I am wise and I know how to navigate life and I want to help you navigate life as well, but you're hanging on to these sin strongholds in your life, he's saying you're living a lie. You're boasting in what is false that you really do not have wisdom. So the first effect on a believer who hangs on to jealousy and selfishness is they're living a lie. They're deceived. Number two, though, they miss the blessing of God. They miss the blessing of God. Friends, do you realize that God wants to bless you? That God delights in giving to his children good things. Remember James chapter 1, verse 17 that we looked at many, many weeks ago? Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow Due to change, that God loves to give us, his children, good gifts and perfect gifts. And one of those gifts that God delights and finds joy in giving to us is in James chapter 1, verse 5. And we saw this before. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him that God desires to give us wisdom. God offers us wisdom. God promises to give us wisdom when we ask. And yet so often we choose to turn our backs on this blessing of God, this grace gift from God, and run after what we think in our flesh is best, what the world tells us is best, and we do what we want to do. Look back at James 3. Look at verse 15. This type of life he describes, this, this bitter jealousy and this life ambition. He said, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Friends, when we do not seek the grace of God to change our jealousy and selfishness and take it away, we are rejecting the blessing of God, and we miss the blessing of God and this amazing grace gift that he wants to give to us. So consequences to us, we're living a lie. We miss the blessing of God. But number three, and this one is absolutely terrifying, we are being used by Satan for his purposes. We are being used by Satan, by the enemy himself, the devil, for his purposes. Look back at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. Friends, what's the next word? Demonic. It is demonic. A life that is characterized by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. A life that is defined by frenzy when other people are ahead. A life that is defined by rivalry and broken relationships is a life that he said this gets its origin from the demonic. You see these three words here, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly means it's not coming from God. This is just talking about the realm in which this occurs. And so when we're living in selfishness and jealousy, it's not from God. It's earthly. It says unspiritual. That means it's not coming from the Holy Spirit. We saw Galatians 5 a minute ago, and the fruit of a life not controlled by the Holy Spirit, and the rivalry was in there. So if this type of selfishness and ambition and jealousy is not from God, is not from the Holy Spirit, he says it is demonic. Because let me remind us that demons are very real spiritual beings who originally were angels. But somewhere early in creation history, they followed Lucifer, who was one of the head of the angels and was one of the most beautiful of the angels. And Lucifer had in his heart, verse 14 here, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, didn't he? He wanted to be God. So you think about what led to the very first sin, the very first rebellion in heaven was bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. 
And he convinced a number of the angels to follow him, rebel against God. That was unsuccessful because God is supreme and can never be defeated. And so Satan and the demons were cast out of heaven. These fallen angels became known as demons. They were cast into hell. They were allowed, though, to continue to roam on earth. And they are actively, even today, seeking to destroy God's plans. They're not just passively seen by. They're working to deceive people. That's why we pray for unreached people groups for God to open their eyes. But they're also at work trying to destroy the witness of the church. They're trying to destroy your family, your holiness. They seek to deceive God's people. And one of the things they love to do is to do what Satan himself first did when he rebelled. They want to stir up within us bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. They tempt us, and we run after it because our hearts already want it. They tempt us to use divisive, harsh words. They tempt us to put other people down and hurt others. They tempt us in ways that will destroy our witness and hurt our family and hurt our friends and hurt our church. And they ultimately do this so the gospel does not go forth, so God does not get the worship and the glory he deserves. Friends, when we allow bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, when we allow rivalries and this frenzy in our hearts to take root, we become a tool of the enemy to create the destruction he wants to create in our kids' lives, in our spouses' lives, in our co-workers' lives, in our neighbors' lives, and yes, in the lives of our friends at church. One author that I read this week said this. He said, when we fight one another in Christian circles, evil establishes a foothold. When we operate with worldly values, seeking our own honor and our own status, we offer Satan an entrance into the house of God. Because we need to remember that the next time we are tempted to relate to someone else out of a place of jealousy or selfishness. So what are the effects on us when we allow jealousy and selfishness to ruin our lives? We're deceived, we miss the blessing of God, and we're being used by the enemy. But James doesn't stop there, friends. If it's not hard enough already, I know this is a hard text. He goes on to show us the effects it has on those that we are interacting with. Look at the effects on those we interact with when we in our hearts hang on to jealousy and selfishness. Verse 16, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there sometimes might occur. Maybe this will happen in a few rare instances. There, what's the next two words there? There will what? There will be. Notice a certainty in James' text. This is strong language here. This is not a maybe and if, and occasionally things break down when you have it. It says, if we, as followers of Christ, hang on to jealousy and selfish ambition, there certainly, this is a promise, this will happen. There will be disorder in every vile practice. Now, it highlights two things. The word disorder. The, the Greek word here, perhaps, is the closest in English to our word anarchy. That's what this, this word disorder is not just a few things are messed up on your bookshelf at home. This is the word for the strongest level of disorder, for anarchy to occur. This word gets translated in other places in the Bible as instability, as things that are uncontrollable. Again, it comes to the idea of anarchy, total meltdown. For instance, when we operate and we interact with one another, whether it's at home or at work or at the church or in the neighborhood or with our friends, when we're operating out of this place of selfishness and jealousy, we are giving the enemy a foothold to create instability. To create anarchy, to break relations, and to make things so unstable. I mean, think about it. If you have kids, the, 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 the instability that happens when you and your spouse fight, do you, do you see what that does to undermine the stability in your kids' lives? Think about your work relations. What happens when you see the bosses above you arguing and fighting? The instability that causes for you as an employee. Friends, the enemy loves to use our jealousy and selfishness to create instability in relationships all around us. Our sin creates Disorder and breaks the unity that God is so passionate about building into his people. But not only does 
our sin of jealousy and selfishness will lead to disorder. It also leads to every vile practice, he says here in verse 16. Notice that last phrase, every vile practice. Vile means sinful, evil, wrong. Our jealousy and selfishness produce many other sins that also hurt people. Have you ever considered how many other sins that wound people come out of jealousy in our hearts? Think about from jealousy flows arguments, from selfishness flows hurtful speech and criticism, dishonesty, gossip, slander, murder, giving people the cold shoulder, not meeting their needs. We could go on and on. At least a discontentment, envy, at least a stealing. And friends, if you've never considered it, how jealousy and selfishness is what drives pornography, it's what drives marital unfaithfulness, it's what drives adultery, all of those type things that wreck lives come out of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And so friends, if there are in your heart traces of this or strongholds of this, let me just plead with you this morning to not just write off, it's okay. It will not be satisfied. It will lead to more and more and more. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. There will be every vile practice. So we've seen the evidence of us having lack of wisdom. That's jealousy and selfishness. We've seen the cause of that. Quite simply, we're rejecting the grace of God and we run after it because our hearts want it. We've seen the effects of it. It wrecks us and it wrecks other people as well. So let's pull all that together. Now that we're at the end, I want to give you the main idea of this text this morning. This is what I want you to see from this text. We're going to pull this together. We need God to purge our hearts of jealousy and selfishness for our good and for the good of others. Friends, we need God to do something we can't do. We need God to purge our hearts of jealousy and selfishness for our, our own good and for the good of others. Like I mentioned earlier, friends, we are so quick to excuse these sins. We have jealous thoughts. We feel selfish thoughts. We feel that inner frenzy when someone gets ahead. And we just kind of write it off and we either blame our past or we just write it off that that's who I am. And we just excuse it. But this is not a respectable sin. This is a sin in God's eyes. It is so destructive. Friends, the sin of jealousy and the sin of selfishness is the soil in which so many other sins grow that will hurt us. It's the soil in which so many other sins will grow that will hurt us. It'll wreck our joy in God. It'll make us miserable. It'll make us empty. It'll wreck our testimony. It'll make us, even our own heart, feel unstable. But these sins of jealousy and selfishness are also the soil in which many other sins grow that will hurt people around us. From these sins grow many other sins that divide believers, that tear down people made in the image of God, and destroy the precious unity between believers that Christ shed his blood to create and that God is passionate about building into his church. But as we have seen over and over, friends, in all of our journeys, there's no amount of just white-knuckled determination that's going to get rid of jealousy and selfish ambition in my heart. Just as there's no amount of determination that's going to tame my tongue and the same for you. God has to come in. And God has to take control of our hearts and our affections and our minds. And he has to fill us with his Holy Spirit who convicts us and just wrecks us over the jealousy and selfishness in our hearts. Who guides us, who opens up God's word, who lets texts like this just come in and pierce our hearts where our hearts need to be pierced. Because he loves us so much. And we need the Holy Spirit to produce in us that fruit of gentleness and humility and graciousness that loves God and loves other people. Friends, we can't change ourselves, but God can, and God delights and wants to change us, to make us to who he has made us to be. We need God to purge our hearts of jealousy and selfishness for our good and for the good of others. So I ask you just two questions this morning as we wrap up. For you and your life, as you think back to that opening question, what does this transcript of your life show in recent weeks? What What does God need to purge from you this week? What does God need to purge from me this week? What are the areas to where jealousy and selfishness have taken a stronghold? What are the areas that we've excused or justified or written off that God needs to come in and just 
pull those out of our lives for our good and for the good of others. And friends, as he shows us that, are we going to be willing to ask him to do it? Are we going to be willing to repent when he shows us things? Are we going to be willing to seek to make wrongs right? Are we going to be willing to follow after him when he reveals to us in his kindness to us areas that we need to grow in? Now, before I pray for us, like I normally do, I want you to take a minute and pray about this. I know this is a heavy text. I know we've been in a long section of James that's very heavy. And friends, that's why we work verse by verse through books of the Bible here. This is not the text that most, that most of us would run to and be like, what do I want to preach this Sunday? I want to preach about jealousy and selfishness. This will be fun. Like, this is not the text we run to because it makes us feel good. But we go to these because, friends, I need it and you need it as well. Because God loves us and God wants to purify us and purify our families and purify our church and purify even our city. He wants to transform us. So we go verse by verse to come to the hard texts like this that don't make us feel good, but to make us look in and ask the hard questions and ask God to transform us. So as the band comes right now, before I begin to pray for us, I want you just to bow your heads, whether you're sitting here or in the gym or at home, and take a minute and just say, God, show me areas in my life where jealousy and selfishness have taken root. God, show me areas to where I'm blind to this, but it's present. God, show me areas that I need to confess and repent of. And would you take just a few minutes and ask God right now to reveal to you areas and blind spots and areas you need to repent of in this? him your own inability to change yourself and cry out and ask him to do what you can't do and that's to create heart change to tame your tongue to take away this, this zeal this frenzy this harshness whatever it is and ask him to sanctify you and grow you to ask him to fill you with his holy spirit to produce in you the fruit of a life that is gentle and holy that you can't make on your own would you ask him for that your people is unconditional. And God, you saw us in our wretched, awful, terrible state. And you still sent Christ to die for us. That Christ still willingly went to the cross and took the punishment for every jealous thought and selfish thought I've ever had and these friends have ever had. That he willingly and gladly took the punishment for every harsh word I've spoken and these friends have spoken. He gladly took the punishment for every place I've caused division and these friends have caused division. He took it gladly. And when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. It was finished that the punishment that I deserved and these brothers and sisters deserved was put on Christ. And we will never experience the wrath that we should experience for all of our jealousy and all of our selfishness and all of the hurt we've caused to others. We'll never experience it because Christ has borne it 
before us. Oh God, may we treasure that thought today and this week. That we stand forgiven. That not only did you take all that from us, but you clothed us in Christ's righteousness. So that we can now walk into your holy throne room and not fear being struck down. Because when you see us, Father, you see the righteousness of Christ. When we approach you, you see one who has never sinned and speaks, who's never thought a jealous thought, who's never thought a selfish thought, who's never done anything to hurt other people. You see Christ, and so we can approach you and talk to you and praise you and ask you to change us. Oh God, may we treasure that this week. And Lord, may the thought that our standing before you is secure not be an excuse to justify sin in our life. But may that be the impetus. May that be what drives us this week, Lord, to desire greater holiness, to desire you to transform us so that more and more we are practically living out who you already see us as, and that's righteous in Christ. So, God, we confess this morning our frailty, our weakness, our inability. Lord, we can't change these, these desires of our heart, but, God, you can. So, Lord, for our good, for the good of our families, for the good of this church, for the good of this city, Lord, ultimately for your glory, God, would you this week, through your word and your Holy Spirit working within us, remove from us some of the jealousy and selfishness that we've been clinging to. Lord, we know that you will do great things. We already sang earlier that you're doing great things. We pray you would do great things this week in our sanctification, Lord, so that your gospel goes forth and the enemy schemes in our lives and our family's lives in this church are stopped. God, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
together this morning to praise your great name. God, I pray that our praise would not be limited to what happens in this place. God, we praise you this week the way we keep singing to you. We praise you this week the way we read your word anticipatively. And we would praise you this week the way that we interact with others made in your image. God, I pray that we praise you this week in the way we ask you and seek you to uproot these sins in our life. Lord, we ask you to do it all for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.